moving on to uh, the Health Equity and Sustainability Panel. We'd like to welcome our uh, uh, distinguished panelists and we'd like to move on into a very important topic which is health. The SDGs number three is good health and well-being. This goal is dedicated to ensuring success to healthcare for all and well-being of people to help grow prosperous societies. Please welcome Patricia Cornett from WOCIP, Dr. Nicole Hare, Global Health Leading uh, Skin Care, and Kemi Ulogemo from Laurent. Olugemo. <laughs> I apologize. Olugemo. Well, I would just like to begin by asking our panelists to just say a few words about themselves and their organization and how your work has been striving towards achieving STG number three. We can begin okay. with um, Kemi. Uh, good afternoon. Is my mic on? Yes. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, thank you for having me today. Uh, it's been a wonderful, wonderful summit so far. Um, so I'm a neurologist who started out in clinical practice, and um, after five years, I switched to the pharmaceutical industry to increase my impact. Um, and I'm actually here representing WOSIP, uh, Women of Color in Pharma, which is an organization that's focused on health equity. That's wonderful. Hello, I'm Dr. Nicole Hare. I am a dermatologist in Virginia. And um, my background is that I graduated from MIT. I've done a lot of research, so I'm going to go on about research in a little bit. I've worked at the NIH and Merck, uh, as well as labs at MIT. And uh, I'm, as I said, a physician dermatologist in Virginia. And I want to thank George and Idea Jen for having me here today to share my work with everybody. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Pat Cornett. I have a background in diabetes genetic research and over 20 years of experience in the drug development pharma industry. I'm the co-founder of Women of Color in Pharma. Uh, Kimmy and I are on the board together. Uh, WOSIP is an organization focused on black and Latina women and empowering them to grow professionally and personally. But as Kimmy mentioned, we've uh, grown our mission around health equity, and that's what brings us to connect to the SDGs. And the work that we're doing now is evolving that framework so that we can leverage the pharma platform to have even more impact in the space. Well, thank you. Um, what are some strategies or initiatives that can be done to advance good health and well-being for all? So maybe I'll start with some of the strategies that WOSIP has been um, focused on with regards to health equity. So um, the pandemic, as we've discussed earlier today, really unearthed glaring disparities in health um, that have been existing in the U.S. and, and globally. And um, with, with the pandemic happening and uh, black and brown communities suffering disproportionately, getting COVID um, and dying from COVID, uh, WOSIP decided to pivot to focus on health equity. So we did a number of things um, to try to reduce these disparities. The first uh, is that we focused on education within the community. So we created a, a speakers bureau um, of women who are in pharma, and we trained them on the development of the COVID vaccine um, so that they will be able to go out in the community and educate people on um, what was true about the vaccine development and what was false so that they will be able to make a 
better informed decision about whether to get vaccinated or not. We also, um, through the foundation, went in the, into the communities and provided uh, personal protective equipment um, and resources to people who were out in the field as well. Um, and then the last thing that we did, which was really focused on a sustainable results, was focusing on policy. So um, as people in pharma were focused on drug development and um, we have legislative bodies that create guidances uh, that you know, we abide by, and we, um, starting in October of 2021, uh, started to um, comment on uh, legislation or um, future legislation. For example, we supported amending uh, Purdue for Seven, which is a prediction, prescription drug user-free act to include diverse, inclusive, and equitable participation in clinical trials. Um, then in August of 2021, we provided comments on um, a specific legislation that was called the DEPICT Act, and this was uh, diverse and equitable participation in clinical trials. And then in February um, of this year, the bipartisan DEPICT Act was introduced into the House of Representatives. And then in April, we were very happy to see that the FDA issued a guidance focused on increasing representation of um, minorities and other underrepresented, underrepresented groups in clinical trials. So that's some of the work that you know, we've been doing specifically focused on health equity. Dr. Hare. So my work really started off as a small project in my office. As I mentioned, I've done a lot of research through my, my years, um, and I just love it at heart. And now this research has turned into something with really a global message. It's really rather interesting, and it's a bit of a story. Uh, so I've been in practice almost 20 years, and over those years I've gotten to know my patients pretty well. And some of them have been coming to me for about 20 years. And sometimes it happens that someone will walk in and I can see a change in their skin. And it's not the expression on their face, it's not their attitude, it's their skin. And it can be a positive change or a negative change. And then we get to talking and I find out what has been happening in their lives. And you know, usually it's a positive change. I hear about a new love or an engagement or something like that, that wonderful glow that we get. But just as striking is when that's taken away and the skin looks depleted. So it got me thinking about it and I said, you know, okay, we're always talking about estrogen and progesterone, you know, especially in my office, as I see mostly women. And, um, and then at one point it hit me, it's oxytocin. This is oxytocin, the love hormone. So, you know, through the years, we've always thought of oxytocin as something just really involved in intercourse, in nursing, in birthing, and we really haven't paid that much attention to it. So I dug a little deeper. It turns out that oxytocin is produced in the skin. It's produced when you caress the skin, it's produced when you cuddle, when you snuggle, when you get a massage. Um, and in fact, when I did some more research later, I found it's produced when you do something you enjoy. So someone who likes to sing and they sing, their oxytocin levels go up. And even dogs sense their own oxytocin levels. And they're pack animals, think of it. They're social, right? When their oxytocin is low, they snuggle you. And their, their oxytocin goes up, and so does yours. So. I had to look into this, right? And why, are, why is the skin producing oxytocin? Well, it goes further. We have receptors in the fibroblasts in the dermis. And so for those of you who don't know what that is, those are the cells that make collagen. And so that protects our skin, makes it a little plumper. 
Um, so why is the skin making oxytocin, then binding it and protecting itself? Because when it binds this, it actually turns off a destructive phenotype called SASP, so senescence-associated secretory phenotype. And this phenotype is usually on. So it's like this default that's slowly destroying your skin, slowly aging you, right? But when oxytocin is present, it shuts this off. So I had to look into this with my patients. Can I see this clinically? So I did a little pilot study in my office, and I got some brave women who were willing to let me photograph them and give them a skin age score and I had to have them collect their urine for 24 hours because that's how you measure oxytocin. And we looked at a snapshot in time. What's their oxytocin level? How good do they look? What's going on? Um, so with the skin age score, if you're 40 and you score a 40, you're average. If you're 40 you score a 30, you look good. If you're 40 and you score a 50, you need to come to my office. <laughs> so. Um, so I was able to look at all of this, and it was fascinating because what I found was the woman with the highest oxytocin level in my, in my study looked the best in spite of having the highest lifetime sun exposure. So this is crazy cool, okay? goes further. So when I plotted all the data, it was a linear correlation with how much oxytocin people had and how well their skin was, how healthy they looked, how youthful they looked, right? So I had to, I was blown away. This is new in dermatology, right? So here it was, and I'm sitting there in my office writing up a, a paper for a peer-reviewed journal on this, and I thought, why the heck is the body doing this? Why is the body doing this? The body doesn't like to waste energy. So I looked, you know, in PubMed and did a search. Turns out there's preliminary research on oxytocin in every system in the body, in your heart, in your lungs, in your bones, everywhere. There are receptors for oxytocin in your GI tract even. So what's the body doing? And it occurred to me, this is a social system that's ingrained in our bodies it's so cool. This is biologic proof that we're supposed to be social. We need human contact. We need to be in touch with one another. We need to be good to each other, really, okay? So why? Because think about it. When we were out there and we didn't have skyscrapers and all these amenities that we have now, we were out there trying to survive. Who's going to survive? It's the people who are social and communicating and involved with one another, right? The person who's off on their own, they probably didn't do so well. So this is ingrained in our body, evolutionarily speaking, I believe. And so I coined this system, the oxytocin social exchange system, and it has a positive feedback loop. So the more social you are, the healthier you are, the more vibrant you are, the better you look, and the more attention you attract from others, right? The people who you want to be around and hear their opinions and all that, they're kind of vibrant, right? They're lively. They have something to them. And this helps all of that. It's so interesting. I could go on forever about it. Um, but anyway, my, sto my story, my study, was published uh, in the peer-reviewed journal of Drugs and Dermatology. Then Dermatology Times did a story on it and it was actually named one of the top 
stories of 2021 in dermatology. So I think this is really important. I think this is something that we've all been missing. And I think that in the future, as more research comes out about oxytocin and how important it is in our bodies and for our lives, that we're going to look back and think, oh my gosh, how silly were we that we thought this was just involved in a couple of things in our body. It's, it's omnipresent, and we need it, and we need to pay attention to it. Patricia. I'm still taken by the oxytocin, so uh, I hope I've got a lot going on in my system. Um, switching gears a little bit, um, maybe I'll take the holistic approach that WOSIP is tackling health equity and health. We see it as an intersection, uh, so it crosses a number of SDGs. And the work we're doing is to make sure everything that we touch is, has a positive outcome. Uh, so health is stemming through all of our work. Uh, it has from the beginning, but I want to say in the last two years definitely has peaked uh, because of COVID, because of post-George Floyd, all of the recognition around disparities that existed in communities of color. So what we've been working on, I would say, are threefold. Uh, one, empowering women to be educated about their own health. How do I take care of myself, whether it's self-care or being well-informed to make good decisions when you're having a discussion with your physician? The second is around how can you act as an advocate in your communities and empower your community to be informed around health decisions? And Kimmy mentioned one of the programs that supports this. And the third is uh, around really teaching women how to be economically sound and understand their value and take that back to the workplace. Because we also believe that the economic impact affects health. It affects health outcomes and, and again, uh, ties back to other SDGs. And lastly, I would say acting as a bridge across the globe, whether it's our members who sit in the UK, in the US, or in Kenya, we're trying to act as a bridge to understand what are the commonalities around health issues, around health equity issues, and how can we have impact to address those as a collective body. Where do each of you believe that SDG3 is at the current moment? We're seven years away from an end date. Where are we and what needs dire attention, in your opinion? So unfortunately, I think, as I mentioned before, the pandemic has really set us back. Um, and it has set back a disproportionate amount of uh, minorities, but I would say everyone has also been impacted. So it's difficult to say where we are now and whether it's likely the goal will be met by 2030. Um, as you mentioned, health encompasses um, not just you know, what you do and what you take into your body, but the environment affects your health. And um, we all know that uh, we're at a critical point in terms of um, climate um, change. So I don't want to be um, too pessimistic, <laughs> but I think that you know, there is time for us to um, kind of use our power and use our voice to you know, make a change and to, and to make sure that we kind of right the ship back into the right direction. But right now, I would say there's, there's definitely some concern for whether we can meet the goal in 2030. 
Well, for me, you know, I was listening this morning and someone joked and said, retail is the center of the world. And I immediately turned to my husband and said, it's family, right? Family's the center of the world. We need to promote that more. And I think that in modern life, we get away from that a little bit too much. And we're so worried about all of these things that we want to do. And and our devices are constantly in our faces. And we need to put them down and look across the table at each other and reconnect because it's so important. I don't have a study proving that when you see a smiling face in front of you, your oxytocin goes up. But I would bet money that it does because how miserable was everybody over the past couple of years when you couldn't see your friends and you saw them on a screen or you saw them in person and you couldn't give them a hug and you couldn't see their face? It wasn't the same because it's so important. It's really ingrained in us. We need to reconnect. It's for our health. And the, the anxiety that has been taking over society, and especially in the kids, now I think that part of it is this. Now, on the other part, I think it's the food, so don't get me started on that, because I'll go on about that. But I do think that, you know, there's just this epidemic of anxiety in our children, and I think they need a solid base. We need to say again, you know what? It's okay to promote a nice family life, and families can look different, but they need to be solid. They need to have stability. They need to have dinner together. They need to talk. They need hugs. You know, when my husband and I hug each other at home and the kids are around, they run and try to get in the middle. And I always laugh, like, is that an instinct? Is that, like, really deep down, like, they have to get in on it? So, you know, we really need to look at this and rethink what we're doing. And we need to promote family and bonding and not just, you know, get out there and save the world. Because we also need to save ourselves by saving our families. Whereas healthcare now, and what do you think needs dire attention to, to get closer to that goal that is imperative to the mission? Yeah. I think that, um, you know, we have made a lot of progress, uh, but we definitely have a ways to go. So seven years is a little scary to me to think that that's, that's a, we're a little bit behind. Let's, let's get caught up. And, you know, we had a blip there, a blip there where, you know, it put us behind a little bit, right? Yes. But in general, health care really needs to get to a point that it's, it's, a, it's available to everyone. It's a human right. Don't you agree? I, I totally agree. I, and I think w how we get there is through authentic engagement with communities where the greatest needs are. And really understanding whether it's a family connection or a different connection, uh, access from an affordability standpoint, uh, there are a number of reasons why. How do we get to the point that we can address those issues and they stick, right? Um, and we can do it in a way that's going to be accelerated to close this gap in seven years. So that's where I think we still have a lot of work to do is around that authentic connection with communities. Can I just yes, please. Yes. So um, I, I think we're all kind of saying the same thing. There's the same thread to what we're saying in terms of the fact that there's a lot of focus on sick care rather than health care. We don't really take care of our bodies when we need to to prevent the detrimental effects that, you know, happen later on. So I think that, you know, perhaps if we focus on being our most healthy selves through diet, through exercise, 
you know, through sustainable farming practices, making sure that, you know, um, we're focusing on health so that we're preventing preventable diseases, which are the most common causes of death um, globally. Can you give us just some takeaways that you'd like to share with the audience through your work? What is it that you would like to share with our audience about the SDGs number three? To enlighten your peers and everyone watching today, uh, how you as entrepreneurs are, are using cross-sector collaborations uh, to help further this goal. What can you share with our audience about your experience and, and what they need to do to also be proactive and to help make change? So I love that question. Um, for me, it comes back to collaboration, which was a theme that has uh, come up several times today. Um, you know, the public-private partnership um, operation Warp Speed that was responsible for the development, manufacturing, and um, deployment of the COVID vaccine was a huge success. And it took a process that typically is almost 10 years and, and, and you know, basically crushed that into a year plus, right? So you can see from that example the huge impact that collaboration can have on health. Um, so we've used, at WOSIP, we've used the same model, um, collaborating with um, other nonprofits, collaborating um, with other sectors, um, and we did that with a town hall that we held that was also um, part of the We Are Pharma initiative that Pat and I spoke about before. So in addition to being collaborative, what I would say is um, it's important to have courage. And Maya Angelou, um, one of my favorite quotes from her is that without um, courage, you really cannot practice any other virtue. So you need courage to practice kindness. You need courage to practice um, generosity. And uh, I would encourage us to, to be courageous enough to speak up when you see something um, that's inequitable so that your voice can really be heard. And then the last thing I would say is have a bias to action. Okay. I would say for collaboration, really, this is an instance where health and media and even Hollywood need to kind of get on the same page and promote uh, this idea that connection and long, stable relationships are a good thing and that chaos in relationships are not always uh, cool or, or a good thing. You know, they need to promote. There's something about when people stick together and it could be, you know, I could be speaking about a spouse or a friend. Um, you know, these relationships help us through life, and they help us to be healthier. Um, and, in fact, I've been speaking to some magazines while I'm here, of course, in the beauty industry because that's my industry. But um, just trying to get the message out. I think that um, it's a good one, and it's uh, kind of funny that, in a way, this modern science has put me back to looking at some more old-fashioned beliefs that, you know, we need to um, promote a strong sense of community and human connection. Uh, tough comments to follow. Uh, I, I think that when I look at the experience as an entrepreneur building WOSIP, it did not happen on its own, right? It took a number of volunteers, you know, sweat and blood sort of just jumping in and a lot of partners to get us to where we are. Uh, and we learned from each other and grew our capacity by sharing and being open to sharing in that way. So 
I think, um, you know, I'm, Kimmy, you're spot on around collaboration being at the center of being a good entrepreneur, but the openness, even around the competitiveness of being in business, is being able to share and give exchange of information to others to help them grow, because that benefits you. And it's a model that we've continued to apply and I think have, you know, benefited from. And when I reflect on the summit and all of what we've heard through the other panels, there's a lot of collaboration going on to make things happen.